We are uh, in a series called Peculiar People. We just started it last week, and uh, this is not about how we can be more weird. We, we've probably got that figured out pretty well, most of us, myself included. We're pretty good at being weird. Uh, <laughs> so it's not about being weird in the, in the sense that we normally would think of that um, as something as peculiar or strange. Uh, rather, it's about being set apart, reminding ourselves that as Christians we are set apart by Christ, by the Holy Spirit. We are unique in that we have been called out of the world system and we have been called unto God. And therefore we are to stand out. We are to be unique. We are to be different in the sense of being holy. That's what peculiar people uh, is, is meant, is what is meant by peculiar people. It's about holiness and being holy. And so last week we saw uh, the beginning of Peter's letter, just focusing on those first two verses, his salutation, and it was a focus on the great process and involvement of the whole Trinity in our salvation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit involved in our salvation. The sovereign ordaining and calling and drawing of God the Father, the sacrificial atonement of the Lord Jesus, and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit as He continually applies the cleansing blood of Christ. And He empowers our obedience and our righteousness as we go about our day-to-day lives. Now, in the next section of the letter, Peter dives in to this passionate declaration of praise for God in response to all of that that he he just introduced in his opening statement. It's really a doxology, a doxology. It's a declaration of praise and of glory to God. Uh, We sing the doxology from time to time. In fact, we're going to close today by singing that because it's so fitting. And that's what this next section in Peter's letter is. So 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9 will be our text today. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. And I will be reading from the CSB translation. And I'm going to divide this passage up into two major sections. We could divide this even further. Uh, We could divide it in even more detail than what I'm going to. But for our purposes today, I'm just going to give you two major divisions of this passage. So first, we're going to look at the reality of our salvation. The reality of our salvation. That's going to be in verses 3 through 5. The reality of our salvation, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Look at that with me in your copy of God's Word. Verse 3, the first part of that, Peter says, "Blessed Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word blessed, in the original Greek, that's eulogetos, eulogetos. And that means well spoken of or well spoken about, uh, worthy of praise, worthy of honor. You're probably already hearing something in that word that is familiar to you. The root of that uh, of our English word is found there, eulogy. The, the, our English word eulogy, the root of that is, is this Greek word eulogetos. It's where we get the word eulogy from. Think of, think of what we do when we eulogize someone or, or give a eulogy. Um, typically, you know, that's, that's at a funeral, and, and someone uh, asks if there's anyone that would like to say something about the deceased, or it's planned 
uh, it's already figured into that service. And so what do you do? You, you say something nice and honoring about the deceased. You say something that is going to um, give positive memories of that person. You're going to lift them up and you're going to hold them up as an example of something good. And, and you're going to speak well of that person, right? That's what we do with a eulogy. And side note, this is, this is just for free, okay? Um, I think a lot of our relationships would be a lot better if we didn't wait until a funeral to speak well of people. Uh, maybe if we were in the habit of, of doing some eulogies before uh, the funeral, we would find a lot of things going a lot better. But that's what this word means, and that's what Peter is saying here. He's saying, I, I cannot help but speak well about God. I cannot help but give Him praise because He's worthy. I've got to just honor Him. I've got to just pour out all this praise to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. And in, in the Greek, uh, really that phrase should be, blessed be God the Father. That's really how it would be constructed in the original. Uh, our English translates it, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. But in the original, it was just blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the word Lord there is kyrios. And that means sovereign. It means total supreme ruler, master. It's the equivalent of the Old Testament word Adonai, which was reserved for God. Uh, something that only God was, was given that title uh, of, of supreme one, ruler, sovereign, majesty. So what Peter is saying here is, uh, blessed be God the Father, who is the Father of God the Son. He's referring to Jesus' divinity. Uh, and he wants his readers to understand that everything they have, just like he said at the beginning, everything they have, everything they are, is owed to what God the Father did through God the Son. It's all about God. Our entire salvation. Uh, us being drawn to it like we saw last week. Us having the, the faith to receive it and then through the Holy Spirit, continually helping us walk in and live out that salvation. So, uh, God is certainly worthy of all praise, all glory, all honor, all thanks. And what we need to be sure that we do as we approach God and as we think about Him, we need to bless God, as it says here, speak well of Him, give Him praise for He is worthy. We need to bless God for all He is and all He's done before we ask for blessings from God. You see that? We need to bless Him, praise Him, give Him glory, honor Him, worship Him for all that He is and all that He's done way before we start asking for Him to bless this and, and that. And so often we either neglect that first part of blessing God for who He is, for all He's done. We either neglect it entirely or we just tack it on at the end briefly. But my friends, I just want to suggest to you and encourage you to make sure that as you pray, what marks most of your prayer is praise and glory and honor and worship to God. That should be the bulk of our praying with, with the Lord. 
I'm not saying it's wrong to ask for blessings from God. It's certainly not. Uh, we should do that. We need to do that. I'm not saying it's wrong to bring petition and request. Of course that should be part of your prayer. But considering who God is, all that He is, all that He's done, don't you think we should spend more time focusing on that? Don't you think we should spend more time eulogizing our great God? Speaking well of Him? I, I think we should. I think that should mark more of our prayer than it does uh, so often. So let's make sure, let's strive to bless God for all He is and all He's done before we ask for Him to bless this area and that area. Uh, that needs to be a habit. So, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he continues in the next part of verse 3, uh, B, if you will, 3B. Why? Why should we bless God? Why is he so worthy of praise? Why is Peter making sure that he does that and challenges his readers to do the same? Because, second part of verse 3, because of his great mercy. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All that we have, all that we are, the new birth that we've been given uh, as Christians, the spiritual birth going from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive, no effort on our part could do that. Nothing we did brought that about. Uh, dead people can't do anything but be dead, right? So the spiritually dead, we're, when we're spiritually dead apart from Christ, we're not seeking God. We're not striving out after Him. We're not, we're not wanting to be part of His family. We're not seeking Him and trying to be holy and righteous. No, we're, we're being spiritual corpses. But God, in His great mercy... He took us who were spiritually dead and made us spiritually alive, made us born again into a living hope, a constant, uh, undefeated, enduring, permanent hope through, tied, tied to, connected to the resurrection of Jesus. That's how that works. That's all, the, all that, that uh, is involved in what it means to be saved. It starts with the mercy of God. It's brought about by the mercy of God. It's continued by the mercy of God. And it will be completed by the mercy of God. So here's, here's the really good news for you today. For all of us. We have a living hope. Not a fleeting hope or a temporary hope or a, a fading hope or a surface level only hope. No, we have a living hope because... It's anchored to a living Savior. Aren't you glad for that this morning? That no matter what is going on outside in the world, no matter what is going on in your life right now, that's less than ideal. You can, if you are in Christ, you can and indeed do already have a living hope. A living hope. Not because of anything you are, not because of anything you've done or can do, not because someone else did this for you. No, because it is completely anchored. Anchored to a living Savior. That's the hope of the Gospel. That's the reality of the Gospel. And that's the reality of the hope that we have in Christ. 
I want to go back to the mercy of God that, that Peter draws attention to. Because of his great mercy, then everything else flows from that. You see that, right? It's only God's mercy, only God's mercy, that makes spiritual birth available. If, if it wasn't for his mercy, we would not have access to the spiritual birth we need. It's all about His mercy. His mercy makes spiritual birth available, which then, I just want you to track this progression. I want you to see how this is all connected and builds on one another. It starts with His mercy. That makes spiritual birth available, which then gives us access to an active, enduring hope. That's the living hope that Peter talked about there in the the second part of verse 3. We have access to an active and enduring hope Uh, It's not not fleeting, it's not flimsy, it's sure, and it's ongoing. Uh, Because of that spiritual birth that we were able to get because of God's mercy. And both, both of those things are only possible because Jesus didn't stay dead. If Jesus had stayed dead, then we would not be able to have spiritual birth. It, It just wouldn't be available. We wouldn't have an enduring Uh, living hope because there would be no living Savior for it to be tied to. See how that works? It's all about the resurrection. That's why we, we don't just celebrate the resurrection on Easter. Much like we don't just celebrate the the gift of Jesus and salvation at Christmas time. We certainly shouldn't limit it to those uh, dates on a calendar because it's everything. Everything about our Christian life comes back to the resurrection of our Savior. It's all because Jesus didn't stay dead. And it's only by personally, and I I want to stress that, personally, individually, committing our life to the living Jesus as our Savior and our King that both the new birth and living hope can be personally experienced. Only by personally committing our life to the living Jesus, can we personally experience new birth and the living hope? And that's how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be personally experienced as a real-time reality. This, this that we're, we're looking at, this great mercy of God, this living hope that we've been given, this new birth that we've been given, it's, it's for Monday. It's for Monday morning when you're tired and you're facing another work week. It's for Tuesday and the struggles that are part of that. It's for the Wednesday and midweek when it seems like your week is just crashing down around you and nothing's going right, and when will this week ever end? It's when when you have a lot more taxes coming that you, you didn't expect. It's when your car breaks down. It's when there's that medical bill, and you fill in the blank. You go on, I mean, go on and on with all the the discouragement that just pours in from just everyday life. This is meant for that. The living hope that we have in Christ. The new birth that we've been given by God's mercy. It's, it's meant to be applicable every day. This is not just some deep theological truth. This is meant to be everyday life and breath for you. And I think that in the times in which we're living, what we know is true of life everywhere we look. 
I think we need to experience this reality now probably more than ever, don't you think? I mean, everywhere we look, it's despair, it's discouragement, it's, it's something negative, it's hopelessness. Everywhere you look, you look. but in, in what we have been given through Christ, because of God's mercy, we have a hope that transcends everything else, no matter what is taking place. Not only do we have a living hope for the present, but the reality of the resurrection of the Christian's Savior provides the reality of the Christian's future. So not only do we have this living hope for here and for now, but because of the resurrection of Christ, we have a reality of the future, and it's a sure future. It's a sure hope for the future, just as we have a sure hope for the present. And it makes me think of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen, where he says, If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, if, if our, our hope for, for Christ and, and in Christ is only so good as long as we are alive here and now in this life, then, then the joke's on us. Means we've lived our lives for something that isn't really going to be able to deliver. If everything that that Christ promises is limited to this life to here and now, then it's an empty promise. Thankfully, that's not the case. Thankfully, we have not put our hope in Christ for this life only. It, it, It transcends life, it goes beyond this life in the here and the now. And that's the next part of what Peter is addressing. In verse 4, 1 Peter 1 4. He says that we've been given uh, this living hope uh, because of the new birth through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, all because of God's mercy, and that all was for this purpose. Verse 4 And into, into an inheritance. Inheritance is something that you don't have now, you receive in the future, right? It's a sure thing. It's a factual thing. It's a done deal. You just don't have full access to it yet. So we've been given this new birth. Because of His great mercy, God the Father has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into, placed us into, an inheritance that is, and here's some really good words. These are great, great words. Inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. So it it can't be polluted. It's imperishable. It's not going to die. It it can't be uh, destroyed. It's, It's truly incorruptible, undefiled. It can't be spoiled or tainted or polluted. It's going to remain pure and unfading. It means it's never going to change. It's never going to deteriorate. That's the inheritance that we've been given through Christ and in Christ. So if you are a Christian this morning, you don't just have the hope for the here and now, as great as that is, but it's not just that. You have the hope for a permanent, eternal inheritance. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept, kept in heaven for you. There's the permanence. There's the perfection. 
It's not an earthly inheritance, which can be affected by countless things. It's not what someone here on earth can provide you, which is so subject to change. It's kept in heaven for you. And this is such a big contrast, isn't it, to anything this world and this life can offer. I mean, nothing the world can offer, nothing this life can provide can come close to matching that, that inheritance that is ours from God in His mercy through Christ, an imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance. We have seen in vivid detail how fleeting everything in this life is. For a long, long time, you know, we we were able to, with some some degree of certainty, you know, trust, trust health. And as long as you didn't have some uh, really unforeseen diagnosis, there really wasn't too much for you to worry about. Well, 2020 changed that, didn't it? COVID. We're still dealing with it. We're going to keep dealing with it. Like, it's here. It's, it's here for good. <laughs> you know, and, and so that has affected uh, our, our reality. Uh, everything that, that we look at prior to 2020, not the same anymore. Uh, we, we know very well that there's no such thing as a, as a sure economic environment. Look at all the dips that we've got. And, you know, the, the stock market is, is probably more volatile now in some ways than it ever has been because of how, how quickly it's affected. Um, I mean, it goes up and then it goes down and, and, uh, the cryptocurrency came along and everybody said, Oh, this is great. This is so secure. Nope. So there's, there's not economic stability like we maybe uh, have fooled ourselves so often into thinking. There's not um, uh, stability in terms of health. There's certainly not stability in terms of, of government and relying on, on government to be secure and looking to government to, uh, to, to keep us well and, and to find purpose in and to find hope in. That's certainly not the case. Uh, there's always going to be conflict in the world. I mean, Israel, right now, you probably have all seen what's going on in Israel with Hamas attacking Israel. Now Israel is at war again, and it's a total disaster. So everywhere you look, and those are the big, broad things. You, you look in internally, look closer to home and at your own life and, and all that can come and go and change within your own little circle there is nothing in this world and there's nothing in this life that can pr- provide us a real or lasting security. Even the, the greatest inheritance that might be coming to you is not impenetrable. It's not imperishable. It's not un, uh, beyond defilement. It, it can't be guaranteed to never fade. But, but... In Christ, through Christ, Christian, you do have the promise of an inheritance that will never perish, that will never be polluted or defiled, and will never fade, not one little bit. It's kept in heaven for us. This is why Jesus said in Matthew six nineteen through 21, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But, in contrast, 
Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Peter, as being a disciple of Christ and and there with him in that three and a half year period of Jesus' earthly ministry, heard that statement from Jesus as part of the Sermon on the Mount. So no doubt, he's remembering. He's remembering, he's recalling that when he's writing this letter. And here in 1 Peter, in this, this statement that we just read about this inheritance, of, I, just, I see him thinking back, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I, I see God the Spirit recalling to Peter's mind what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount about this very thing. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. It's just not going to be secure enough. No, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's where everything remains pure. That's where nothing can alter it. Nothing can change it. And Peter's remembering that. And he's saying, yeah, that's what I want to strive to remind my my readers of. Let's focus on our eternal inheritance. That's what we need to focus on. Then, back in in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, 5, Peter says, you, you, he's writing to Christians, so you Christians are being guarded. Such a great word. In the original, what Peter was referring to there is the same word that was used of a garrison of soldiers. A fortress full of soldiers that that guarded something important. He's saying you are being guarded. You, You have a garrison, as it were. A garrison about you, Christian, surrounding you. You're encompassed by what? By God's power. This is not an earthly power. This is not an earthly garrison that's protecting you that you are being guarded by. No, Christian, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Remember earlier I said that uh, that not only do we have a living hope for the present, but but that the reality of the resurrection of Christ and all that God has given us in Him, it provides the reality for the the Christian's future as well. Well, that's what this is all about. Peter is saying, you've got this inheritance waiting for you. It's kept in heaven for you. And and while you're here, while you're not in heaven, until you get there and and catch up to where your inheritance is, the inheritance, inheritance that's waiting for you until you get that, guess what? You still have... Great hope in the here and now because God Himself is guarding you. He's guarding your faith. He's keeping you. You don't have to try to keep yourself in the faith. Just as you didn't have faith in and of yourselves, God had to give you the faith you needed. God keeps you in that faith. So God brought you to salvation, Christian, and He keeps you saved. Hallelujah, right? It's not about you. It's not about me. All God. 100%. And He keeps you for the culmination, the the complete fulfillment of the promised salvation that's ready to be revealed at at the revelation of Christ as He returns again. So here's what that means for us. Uh, Just a a very simple way of saying this, uh, expressing this truth. What it means for us believers is that God keeps the now and the not yet of our salvation secure. 
That's what we have. When we're in Christ, we come into a now and a not yet situation. We're saved in the now. We have salvation now. But we're not fully brought into all of it yet. So it's a now and not yet. We're still living on earth. We're saved, but we're still on earth. We're still in this life. We're still in this old skin. Still that is so prone to choosing sin over over righteousness, living for self instead of living for God. That's where we are. We're, We're in the nasty now and now. But we're also tied to a greater reality in the the sweet by and by, as it were. We're tied to the eternal reality. We're anchored. We're tethered to it. We're just not caught up to it yet. So what God does is He keeps the now and the not yet of our salvation 100% secure. There's no one like God. No one like God. And so it's that reality, all of that reality, that is the, the source of true joy. True joy. Not happiness. Joy. Deep, abiding joy. That's what Peter wanted his readers to hold on to. He's saying, he's saying church, church that's scattered abroad, Christians that are scattered abroad in all these regions because persecution has happened, because you're in a hostile environment, I want you to remember the source of true joy. I want you to hold on to that. Peter's giving the, the source of motivation for his readers that have been scattered and are facing opposition and persecution. He's, he's giving them a source of motivation for them to keep loving and keep living for their Savior no matter how discouraging, no matter how difficult their circumstances were or would become. And the same should be true for us. No matter what you're facing today, no matter what you'll face tomorrow, and some of you are facing some really significant struggles. And I am not minimizing that. And, that, and that's, that's the thing. The Christian faith, it's not a like pie-in-the-sky, ignoring reality faith. It's logical. It, it's tied to reality. Jesus never said, I want you to ignore the reality of what's going on. I want you to ignore... Um, Pretend like difficulty doesn't exist. I want you just to kind of put your fingers in your ears. La, 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 la. No. Jesus didn't call you to a naive faith or a naive way of living. Address the reality of, of difficult situations. Don't pretend like you're not hurting. Don't pretend like you're not going through a rough time and, and that you're not discouraged. You can admit that. You can acknowledge that. The difference is that we don't have to be defeated by those things. The difference is we have the freedom to choose not to be done in by those real difficulties. That's that's what we're talking about here. That there there is a source of joy that endures and abides no matter what is not full of joy around us. We're able to have a source of motivation to keep loving and keep living for our Savior even when things aren't good. In other words, we don't just love God and we don't just serve Him and worship Him only when things are going right. We are able to love Him and serve Him and live for Him even when things are bad. That's what should be true for us just as it was true for Peter's readers as they were beginning to experience hostility and persecution and suffering 
He's saying, this is your anchor. This is what you hold on to. With, it, with all of that, now we're going to come to our, our second division of this passage. We've talked about the reality of our salvation. Now we're going to see the result of our salvation. The result of our salvation. Verses 6 through 9 of 1 Peter 1. Verse 6. So as he said all of that about the reality of salvation, now, verse 6, you rejoice in this. You don't rejoice in being persecuted. You, you don't rejoice in hard times. You don't rejoice in, in all your suffering. You rejoice in the fact of your salvation. You rejoice in your living hope. You rejoice in your, in your new birth and in your inheritance that's waiting for you that transcends all of the here and the now. You rejoice in this even though, see, it, it doesn't pretend like there's not bad things happening. You rejoice in this even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Wow, Peter, what, why are you saying that? How, how can you say that? How can your readers who are experiencing suffering and grief and trials, how can they rejoice? How are they able to do that? Well, and, and, and why, why do you say that it might be necessary? What's the purpose of this suffering, Peter? He tells us in the next verse, verse 7, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, that's what happened at this time, especially. That's how gold was refined. It was put in the fire, and, and the impurities were risen to the top. And they were, then they'd beat the, the impurities out of the gold to make it pure. That's what the analogy is that Peter's using to describe what his readers are going through. And he's saying it, it serves a purpose. It's necessary. It's actually something God is allowing for your good to prove the character of your faith, to, to have the purity of your faith come to the top of your life. So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then verse 8. And this is so, so relevant to us, as you'll see for obvious reasons as we look at this. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you've not seen Jesus, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice. That's a choice, by the way. It's a choice to rejoice. It's a choice to rejoice. You believe in Him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. See, that, that goes beyond happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is a feeling. It's emotionally driven. It comes and it goes. It depends on circumstance and situations and how I feel. Joy is not that. Joy is there no matter what. It's enduring. It's anchored. You rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Why? Verse 9, because you are receiving, you're actively receiving, you're participating in the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So what this means as we 
wrap this, this up and, and in this section here, what this means, what Peter's trying to get across to his original readers and to us reading this today is this very, very important fact. I really want you to get this. It means the Christian's joy doesn't depend on enjoyable circumstances. That's what Peter's trying to get across here. That's what he wants his original readers to, to hear and, and to, to get and to apply to their situation. And it's what we need to get and to apply to our situation. The Christian's joy doesn't depend on enjoyable circumstances. Makes me think of what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 17-18. He said, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That needs to be our focus as well. It needs to be our focus. I want to leave you with just a, a couple of lines from a very familiar old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. The whole song is, well, great. <laughs> but I, I love these lines in particular, and I think it really applies to what we have seen in the message here today. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. Great is thy faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, truly great, truly great is thy faithfulness. There is no other example of faithfulness greater than yours. Thank you, thank you, for by your mercy, Father, calling us out of death and calling us into life, giving us new spiritual birth, giving us a living hope tied to your living Son, our Savior. And placing us into an inheritance that we could never deserve or be worthy of. An eternal inheritance. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Kept, kept, secure in heaven for us. And until we reach that, guarding us by your power. Giving us joy no matter what circumstances we face. There is no one like you. We do bless you. We bless you from whom all blessings flow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.